0: This morning is Sunday morning, December 18th. We're one week from Christmas today. Um, Several of us have talked about what we're going to do with services and all. Since our church is so closely knit and we're all going to be at, I think, the P-Rose for Christmas Day dinner and some of those things. And everybody's invited to all of our houses all of the time. uh, We are not going to have uh, Sunday service. Uh, Instead, Wednesday will be our last service before Christmas so if you can be here Wednesday for that, be here for it, okay? And then everybody will be looking forward to our New Year's Eve bonfire, yes. something we do every year. It's the way to start the new year off right, which is we will be worshiping when uh, we complete our orbit around the sun. And so. Will we be here at ten o'clock the next morning? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, of course. Okay, let's get into the word though. Uh, the message this morning is called "In the Window." Okay? In the window. In your window? Not in your window. <laughs> in the window. I want to read you something out of First Kings. <clears throat> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, first uh, and second Samuel, and then you get to First Kings. And we're going to be in First Kings eight. Y'all are going to have to help me out this morning. It's been a struggle, so y'all stay with me, okay? Jesus Amen. When you're greatly opposed, it's because you are dangerous to the enemy. Okay, uh, 1 Kings 8, we're going to start in the 56th verse. And uh, I want to tell you, this is Solomon dedicating the temple in Israel. The temple was something that was foretold in his father's day. Uh, and was now coming about in his day and it was a really important event. So, starting in uh, verse 56, this is Solomon speaking and he says, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to His people, Israel, just as He promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises He gave through His servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as He was with our fathers. May He never leave us nor forsake us. those are interesting words, huh? They begin to ring a bell that somebody else said that? May He turn our hearts to Him. May He turn our hearts to Him to walk in all of His ways and keep His commands, decrees, and regulations He gave our fathers. And may these words of Mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that He may uphold the cause of His servant and the cause of His people Israel According to each day's need, so that all the peoples, got that, each day's need? Isn't that interesting? You've heard that before, haven't you? Daily bread. bread. So that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. But your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands as it is at this time. Now, this is kind of ironic. We're reading about Solomon saying, Oh, Lord, turn everybody's hearts to You. If everybody's hearts will be fully committed and You'll show up and give us our daily bread and be with us forever, then it'll be a witness. Lord, it would be awesome. But how do you know Solomon ended up in his life? Not in such a good way, huh? His heart didn't stay fully committed to the Lord, did it? You know, one time the Lord speaking about Solomon said, Hey, if you'll fully commit your heart, and keep in mind, I know men's hearts, he said, in first chronicles twenty eight. He said, I didn't judge the the thoughts behind, or the motives behind your thoughts, he said in First Chronicles twenty-eight. We're talking about a guy who understood what he was looking for. So why is it that Solomon ends up the way that he does? And I don't mean in the purely natural sense. I can go through and chronicle each one of the things he did that God said not to do. God said don't go back to Egypt for horses. And he did. He said, Don't amass for yourself huge quantities of gold and silver. And he did. God said, Don't take foreign wives because uh, they'll turn your heart away. And he did. Everything God said don't do when they came out of uh, Egypt, he did do. But there's something that is just more basic than that that happened to Solomon through the course of his lifetime. i we to read to you out of Acts 20 and it will help explain this. What was the message called this morning? <laughs> in the window. Y'all can turn to Acts 20. (coughs) In the Thompson chain, Acts 20 is on page 1235. (coughs) Forgive me for clearing my throat. Must sound really nice in the speakers, you know. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Tell me when y'all get to Acts 20. Okay. In Acts 20, starting in... uh, Verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, uh, because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room. Y'all know I'm leaving tomorrow, right? So we're going to be here till midnight. Tonight. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. I don't know why. These words have always been strangely encouraging to me. figure if the Apostle Paul preached too long sometimes and people fell asleep, that I can forgive you for your occasional nods while I'm preaching. When he was sound asleep, I mean, how embarrassing. He's not just nodding off. I mean, he's starting to saw logs here. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a fall, huh? Now, y'all relax. We're on the first floor today. There are no windows in here, so you're safe. But I heard somebody say recently, and I've been thinking about it ever since they said it, why did you Eutychus fall? Now, This is kind of the same question that I'm asking about Solomon. Why did Solomon start so good and end up so bad? Eutychus is on the third store of a building full of lamps with some saints that are hearing the Word of God from the man who is writing the Word of God. Is it because the message is boring? Probably not. I would imagine if the guy is writing the Bible and we're going to see later he raises the dead that he, he probably was an interesting guy to hear uh, is it because Eutychus was just a bad guy? Mm-mm. There's a natural process that happens to all of us. We have to fan into flame the fire that's in us. You have to think about ways to encourage yourself in the faith. You have to push forward in the faith because the longer we dwell in it, the more commonplace it is. Think about a natural relationship. Man, when you first met your husband, your wife, first boyfriend, first girlfriend, whatever it is, I mean, the sun, moon, and stars revolved around him. Hung on him. And that freshness, that, wow, she's here. Wow, he's here. That excitement is right there in the beginning and there's no effort. Your walk with Jesus is just like that. In the early days, man, it feels like it tells you every time you get to a stop sign, whether to turn right or left. But then as maturity comes and familiarity comes, there are times where it just feels like the journey's going on and on and on. And it is easy to fall asleep in the window. Now, the reason I titled this message In the Window is because there's a really simple answer for why Eutychus fell. You don't have to have a PhD in physics to figure this one out. Eutychus fell because more of his body was outside of the window than was inside the window. This is the same reason that Solomon fell and the same reason that Christians fall when you begin to drift because of familiarity with church life, when you begin to drift because of the monotony of the same routines, if you're not careful, I'm not trying to describe Christianity as doldrums, it's not, but you are a liar if there are days that the same set of songs don't move you the way they once did or reading a familiar passage of scripture just doesn't leap off the page this is human nature but when you begin to let more of your thoughts more of yourself dwell outside of the meeting of God than inside the meeting of God the fall is just a matter of time as surely as gravity happens it will happen unless you do something to stop the process now some people drift off slowly to sleep y'all seen that you know Kind of a gentle, sweet... My wife falls to sleep like that. Some people fight it, nod suddenly like they're about to... Like some of you out here in the peace, right? Like you're about to... uh, uh, You're trying to catch yourself constantly and all. Spiritual falls happen the exact same way. I don't know whether Eutychus suddenly fell asleep. I don't think so because the word seems to indicate that he fell into a deep, sound sleep. But whichever the case is, whether there's a dramatic event that's made you tired and you are having to catch yourself, we need to picture ourselves as in the window. You constantly have to measure your life and say, are more of my thoughts, are more of my actions, is more of my will set on being in this building, which figuratively is the house of God, or outside of the building, or else you are destined for a fall. I want to tell you what else caused me to think about this. Matthew and I were listening to XM Radio, and there was a powerful preacher around the time we were born again uh African American gentleman. All of you would know his name, I would think, if I if I said it, if I mean he's probably the most preacher most powerful preacher of his day, uh in a particular genre of charismatic Christians. And we were listening to his testimony last night on XM radio. We couldn't figure out why it was on XM radio. Then I heard. He began uh teaching heresy. Well that caught my ears right away, you know. Uh, He's teaching heresy. I thought, wow, wonder what it is, you know. People say things sometimes. Maybe he was misunderstood. And I was listening, fully expecting to hear that this was some kind of mistake. This guy sang on a tape with Carmen. He, you know, is a really well-known leader. And I couldn't figure it out. This guy began to preach uh, a doctrine of inclusion. He began to teach that there was no hell and that... uh, really people were not in need of salvation. I'm talking about a spirit-filled, charismatic, Pentecostal preacher. Church, more than 5,000 people. And uh, Matt turned and looked at me and he said, it. I, know, I knew nothing of this. Okay? This happened years ago and I knew nothing of it because I don't follow the TV Christians. Okay? But he turned to me and he looked and he goes, I wonder what sin he's involved in. I know by the fruit in the man's life, even though I know nothing about him, That does not happen for no reason. At some point in this preacher's life, more of his self was outside of the church than inside. And so what we're seeing is the result of that. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? This is why we have to check ourselves. We have to be careful. You don't push your face against the pane of glass hoping it won't break, staring, wishing you were outside. If I was lost, I would do it this way. If I was lost, I would do this. Back when I was not a Christian, this is how this would have been done. All of those things are leaning out of the window and you better be careful because you can fall that way. Turn with me to Psalms 12. I want to read you a couple thoughts then we'll move on. You're going to need to keep a finger in Acts because we're going to come back to that. Now, I realize this morning I'm not jumping around with pom-poms. May not be yelling or Is enthusiastic, but that does not make this any less applicable to your life today. In fact, it's on mornings like this where you wake up maybe not having slept enough, uh, maybe your body's tired from moving or whatever it was that you were doing and you don't feel well that these kind of messages are important because Christianity is not what you do in the moment of emotional zeal. Christianity indeed, integrity It's what you do when nobody else is looking. God will judge the motives behind your thoughts. That's a powerful thing. You may get everything right on the outside for everybody to see, but God is aware of why you made the choices you really did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you helped somebody, but did you help somebody for others to see it? Or did you help somebody because that was a sincerely motivated thought, something you wanted to do? Were you just posturing? Well, that's a word I've been talking with people about a lot lately. There are people in this world that posture for image. They're only concerned with how others view them. Christians fall into this trap because we want to be viewed as godly. So we will work to make sure that we have, quote unquote, preserved our witness. It's not your job to preserve your witness. Give that up. It's God's job to preserve His witness in the earth. And He can use you any way He wants to do it. How worried was He about preserving His witness when people were saying Jesus was demon-possessed? or he was a drunkard or a friend of wars and tax collectors. You know, all, all the Christians you know would have run away from that situation under the banner of preserving their witness. Your job's to be obedient. It's his job to worry about the rest of the details. He knows the motives behind your thoughts that eventually produce actions. You need to think about that. You know, in Psalm 12, yes. I want you to be aware of something. In Psalm 12, we pick up a cry of David. It says, Help, Lord, for the ungodly are no more. I'm sorry, the godly. Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor. Their flattering lips speak with deception. Now, David's speaking of people, but we're going to read Ephesians here in a minute. You're going to find out it's not just people who lie. They're lying spirits. They're lying spirits on people. When you identify in your life an area... A relationship, whatever it might be, that there's deception in, you need to be very careful how much you subject yourself to it, because the, here, here's the reality: that pastor, that pastor that I was talking about just a little while ago, that found himself with more of himself outside the window than inside the window, he didn't wake up one day and decide to fall away. Do you understand what I'm saying? He didn't say, you know, I am a charismatic preacher, asked to speak all over the country. Seeing thousands and thousands saved for Jesus, I think in the next few years I'd like to lose my church, lose all of my friends, be considered reprobate or at least at the very least a heretic, and fall away from Jesus. That was not his goal, but somewhere along the line he began entertaining a thought from someone lying to him. Now in this case I don't know whether it was a person or a spirit, but something began to lie to him and seduce him away, till more of him was outside of the building than inside. Be careful about deceptive speech and don't you ever participate in it. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. Why? Don't you like it when people say nice things to you? Well, what's the difference between being complimentary and being flattering? One has a motive. If the only reason that I'm saying something nice to Diana or nice to Julie is because I have a motive and it's a motive other than God's, God, that makes him sick. He didn't want that. But how often is that? How many people are in your life that tell you that they like the sweater that you wear or something just because they want you to like them? Now, that's not all bad, but you understand what I'm saying? Watch what he says. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and every boastful tongue that says we will triumph with our tongues. We own our lips. Who is our master? I can say anything I want and get away with it. That's the attitude. I'm such a slick talker, I can talk anybody into anything and I can get away with whatever I want. Because of the oppression of the weak and the groaning of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord. Doesn't matter what people say, doesn't matter what facade, how they posture. I'm speaking of people, but I'm also speaking of you and me. If what we're doing is not liberating the oppression of the weak and taking care of the needy, we're not in God's will. It's God's will that we do those things. And whoever the flattering lips are, whoever the deception comes from, if they are oppressing the weak and needy, no matter how good of a person you think they are, God is against it. I will protect them from those who malign them. Malign. What's the word malignant mean? Those of you in the medical community, I know you mean this. There is a cancer that works through people. And the cancer that works through them is their will and not God's. Say anything, do anything, manipulate anything to get your way and not God's. Now, here's the problem. That cancer's in each one of us. The extent to which we let that grow to do, God, to do our will rather than God's is how far you are outside that window. So that this pastor that we were listening to on the radio gave up preaching true doctrine, preaching the Word of God, and now has a church full of people in active homosexuality. And I, I'm not talking about people that have repented and wanted to come to Jesus. I'm talking about people that say I'm in Jesus and he's okay with this. How far has that dude fallen? That broke my heart. I, I mean, I couldn't believe it. To me, it would be a little bit like hearing that Billy Graham had done that. Okay? That's exactly what that was like to hear that. So why am I telling you all of this? We need to judge ourselves constantly, see where we are in relation to this window pane. You need to judge other people's uh, motives in your life by where they are in regard to that window pane. Does't mean you don't interact with people? Of course you do. You interact, we're, we're not to be removed from the world, but you need to realize what you're dealing with. Does that make sense? You need to realize what you're dealing with. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay purified seven times if you're not sure if you can trust what's going on around you what you can trust is what God's word says it's flawless so you read it you get it in you you meditate on it you pray about it you think about it and it will always show you what to do I promise you ever had a multitude of counselors all telling you to do do different things I find myself in that position constantly how do you know what you should do well, in the charismatic world, we say simply hear from God. How many times has God parted the heavens and spoken to you in an audible way? In my life, that was once. Once. A lot of people's lives never happens. So what does it mean to hear from God? He's got to show you some way. And the best way I know that He could show you is through His anointing on His Word. So you cling to His Word because it's flawless. Oh, Lord, you will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. I think it's funny. The people he's talking about being protected from are not those that are pursuing him with a sword. They're those that are lying and saying good things about him. Flattering. The most devastating thing that ever happened to me in the kingdom came from a man that had a flattering tongue. Said all the right things, nice things, especially in front of people, but his motives weren't pure. God eventually exposed it, but lots and lots of people's lives got hurt through that. Uh, can probably name ten right off the top of my head that are no longer even a part of, of church because of that, because of flattering lips. The wicked freely strut about with, when what is vile is honored among men. God, that stands out to me. We need to be very careful that we don't participate in honoring something that God calls vile. Not in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you just need to meditate on that and think about it. If God calls it vile, you cannot honor it. But we live in a day where everything that is vile is honored. You know, I was standing in the checkout line the other night. Happened to be a young lady next to me. And I noticed what she was looking at on a magazine rack. Everything that she was looking at at the magazine rack, people that she's supposed to look up to, were people that God would consider their actions vile. But I could see there's a slight drawing in interest. How could there not be? That's all she's ever seen. The people that are sc- scandily clad and sell their bodies to sell records. You know, those are the heroes. That's vile. That's vile, but it's honored among men. We need to be careful where we stand with that. We'll read you two more verses, then we're going to move on. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? <laughs> David was a unique guy and I love his honesty. How many Christians do you know that would tell you they were wrestling in their heart with sorrow or they felt like the enemy was winning? How many Christians do you know would say that? We've been taught to say, get the victory. (laughs) It's all okay. It's all all right. The truth is in Christianity, there is a struggle constantly to stay in the building and not outside of it. That's a struggle all of the time. When you woke up this morning, be honest. Be honest. Please don't say anything out loud. Be honest with yourself. Did the thought cross your mind when the alarm clock went off that it would be nice to stay in bed? Now you know it's better for you to be here. You know that this feeds you, that your life is changing because you're here. You know that it's good, but there's some part of you that wants to malign God's purpose in your life. It's a malignancy. It's a cancer that would like to pull you out of the building rather than in. And it's that part the devil appeals to all of the time. Now, you know why I can be so honest with you? I woke up this morning and thought, it would be good enough to go to church today. There's a problem with that though. I'm preaching and it's in my house. So I'm hemmed in and I'm glad to be hemmed in. I want my whole life to be hemmed in to God. I want God to have me so wrapped up in His arms that my life's so much about Him that I couldn't imagine my life without Him. You understand? That's a good place to be. I've put myself in the center of the room so that I can't even get close to the window seal because I know what's in me. I'll be totally honest. I know the inclinations that are in Eric. I've been warring against that for a long time. So by the help of the Holy Spirit, by the counsel of the Word, I walk away from the window and sit in the middle of the room. But that's a hard thing to do and it doesn't usually happen in the first few years of Christianity. The warm, fuzzy feelings are there and they carry you from one day to another, but the whole time you're staring at what's going on outside of the house of God. We have to be very careful. Turn with me to Ephesians. I know you know this, but if Peter could write to a church and say, though you know these things, I want you to do it more and more, then I figure I can get away with it too. In Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Think about your actions this week. Since I last spoke with you on Sunday, and I know we did Wednesday night too, but since I last preached to you on Sunday, would you describe your actions as strong in the Lord and in His mighty power? Because that's how Paul told us to live. Strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Now... I want you to understand something. I'm not talking about you getting everything right. I'm talking about you being motivated by the Lord, by His strength, and by His power. And would you describe your walk this week as strong? Because that's what God wants from you. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Anybody that ever said Christians or Christianity was not supposed to be controversial is really, really wrong. You are being equipped to take your stand in a world where what is vile is honored. You are supposed to be able to stand up and say, I will not honor that. I don't want any part of it. I don't even want my clothes to touch such filthy stained things. So put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil first chose a snake. In a garden. Do you remember why the snake was chosen? What's your NIV Bible say? It was more crafty than the other animals. The devil is a schemer. He has got a plan for your life, just like God does. And he is scheming to cause his plan to come about for your life. We need to be very careful, need to be wise, have our head screwed on right, if you will, your eyes open, living in the strength of the Lord, depending upon his flawless word. So that we're not deceived. For our struggle, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. Doesn't matter which animal Satan used, he chose one because it was uniquely suited for the purpose. You know, God chooses people because they're uniquely suited for a purpose. Well, the enemy does too. But your battle is not with them. This is how you can love somebody that hates you because your battle is with what is motivating them. And ultimately, you want nothing more than for people around you to get saved. Everybody here just wants the kingdom to advance. This poor preacher that I was listening to has gotten so confused in 10 short years. Think about 10 years in the history of the world. In 10 years, he's gotten so confused that he doesn't believe people even need to be saved. How sad is that? You think maybe the devil had a scheme for his life that he succumbed to? Now what do we do? That's really, what. how do you react to a message like this? What do you do when you hear about somebody that's fallen, not doing well? Let's just say that Eric screwed up bigger than you could possibly imagine in the next month. How do you react to that? Do you stand by like like the world and clap? You know? You watch it like a car crash with awe and amazement? Is that what Christians are called to do? Why are we even entertained at the thought? This was a radio program, guys. It's a radio program about how this preacher has basically fallen away. It was on the radio for the entertainment value. Can we be entertained by that kind of stuff? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, he doesn't say if the day of evil comes. He said put it on when it comes. It's coming. Might be tomorrow, might be next year, might be a year from then, might be an hour from now. There is a day that will be like no other day. And I know that. This is what I would refer to as the tribulation period. But in a general sense, there's a day of evil coming for you all of the time. This is any day where you're tempted to do evil. The devil is scheming of how he can trick Bobby up. He's scheming of how he can trip up Mandy. And if you're already teetering on the edge of this window seal, you don't have to reach out very far before you fall. When I was a little kid, much younger than Judah, I guess more around Gabe's age, I stood on a chair and I worked my way up to the back of the chair. It's one of those lazy boy type rockers. There was something out there that I just wanted until more of my body was off of the chair than on, and I fell. cost me 14 stitches under my eye. In Christianity, it's not always a fatal fall, but it will always leave a mark. Even when God forgives you, it will always leave a mark. It's so important that we be wise in the way that we live. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. <laughs> is there any, any hint of hesitancy in Paul's voice? He's telling you as Christians, you're supposed to stand when nobody else will stand. You're supposed to stand against the growing tide of pollution that is floating beside you. Eroding everyone else's judgment and character. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Isn't it interesting that the very first thing that He lists as armor for you is a belt? Like what? A belt. Why is that good? Well, because everything else hinges on it. It hangs on it. If you do not have a truthful tongue, you don't have anything. If people cannot trust that the words that come out of your mouth are true, you have no hope of defeating the enemy, the first place you have to start with is truth. Everything else hinges upon that. You've got nothing to hang the the sword that is the word on. Otherwise, you have nothing even to hold up your pants. If you don't tell the truth. One of my favorite stories about Judas. He opened a Christmas present when he was about two and a half. Around this time of year, obviously. And I said did you open that Christmas present he said no and I knew he did he had never lied to me before and I, I knew right away I said son did you open that Christmas present he's shaking now crying no So said okay go to your room goes to his room I wait a few minutes call him to the door I said son I need you to tell me the truth did you open the present he said dad it is hard to tell the truth no truer statement was ever said. There are times where telling the truth will cost you everything. And yet, when you pledged yourself to Jesus, that's exactly what you pledged yourself to do. Belt of truth. By the way, we pray on the armor of God as Christians. I even did that today. You really can't. These armors are not something that are endowed upon you spiritually. They're the lifestyle that you live. Living a truthful life style is like having armor on you. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. What does a breastplate protect? Your heart. The best way that you can protect your heart in Christianity, which is something that you have to do, is to lead a life where people will not believe the things they hear about you. A breastplate of righteousness works like this. Somebody says, you know, I saw Matthew the other day. I believe he had a wandering eye. You know, I saw him call out to a young lady. Now, they have no idea that that young lady was his niece. Okay? But they're out spreading that rumor everywhere they can. That floats its way back around to Cassidy's ears. One of the girlfriends at the laundromat calls and says, do you know where Matthew was? Do you know where he was yesterday at 2? And Cassidy's thinking, no, I've got no idea where... Well, so-and-so heard from so-and-so who heard from so-and-so that he was calling after a girl who was walking on the street. Matthew wearing a breastplate of righteousness and Cassidy wearing one means that that lie will not make its way into her heart because she knows him. She knows he's righteous. She knows he wouldn't do that. And even if he did literally do what they said, in this case he did, he did call after a girl, she knows there had to be a good reason. He was his niece. You understand how that works? That is so important. I'm telling you about survival in Christianity, guys. I mean, I can preach to you and entertain you. I can tell you messages that you'll remember because they jingle. I'm trying to tell you how to survive in this walk. When I heard that the other night, I was shocked because this was a somebody that you would think, surely this guy will make it. How would you feel tomorrow if you heard some great leader like that had fallen away? You know? I was shocked. We need to get back to the basics. I actually need to never lose them. Verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, if Christians pray this on all of the time. Tell me something. What is it to be ready with the gospel of peace? Be you, you better be prepared. Just like you better have your track shoes on if you're going to run in a track meet, you need to learn this word. Don't answer out loud. Okay, And I'm not beating you down. Each one of you know I love you. Okay, Most of the time when I stand up here and preach, I'm preaching about a flaw in my life. And I'm very open with you about that. I don't hide anything from you. I literally am an open book. How many times this week did you crack open a Bible? If you were not sitting in this building, how many times did you prepare yourself with the readiness of the gospel of peace so that when a lie does present itself to you, When somebody with flattering tongues does say something to you, the word that is flawless and refined like silver is there to combat it. Did you do that this week? Better wake up. There are two kingdoms that are warring with one another. A kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. He said, well, I know, but I mean, this is really just, all this just has to do with people. That's the arena in which the battle is fought. All of mankind all of mankind became subject to death because of the way two people acted. Isn't that interesting? We always have a a thought that these spiritual things are going on somewhere else, far away from us, or when you pray it's in some magical land or something. These things are lived out in our lives by what we do and what we say every day. Verse 16, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Guys, the shield of faith, it's not that you won't be shot at. It's not that they won't be on fire. It's not that these aren't fiery arrows shot at you. It's that your trust in God, that's what faith is, this shield is your trust in God, will make those arrows of no effect. Like Matthew told me the other day, I was praying with him. You know, I've had some things I've been upset about lately. He says, Eric, the Word said no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It never said no weapons would be formed against you. You can expect the weapons to form, but your trust in God will tell you they will not prosper. You know, the devil would hit the church with a hammer in the first century and scatter it everywhere. How frustrating it must have been. It just meant there were more churches everywhere. What he is not able to accomplish through persecution, he's been able to accomplish through affluence. We sit back, things are too easy, too long, and he lulls you to sleep in the window. Till before long, you're not living like you did in the beginning, and you have fallen right out. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit of, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You know what the sword of the Spirit is and the helmet of salvation. The problem is sometimes your sword seems bent and you're looking through the ear hole of the helmet of salvation. This is what time in the Word and time in church is for. It's why the devil tries to keep you being here. You're supposed to regather, refocus, so that outside these walls you can live what you've heard about inside these walls. That's why we have to get together. That's why when you get together, you should talk about edifying things. You should concentrate on whatever is praiseworthy or noble or excellent. If you get together at somebody's house and you have the opportunity to watch a silly movie, which is fine, or to get into the Word and encourage each other, Examine your heart. See what you should do. We need to encourage one another. People are dying and going to hell in a handbasket all around us. I've now lived in this kingdom long enough to see quite a few start and are not in it today. What do you think that says to me when I stand right here and I look out here? I'm jealous for you. I don't want to look back in 10 years and see somebody was. I'm not talking about in the church. I'm talking about in the kingdom of God. And is now not. And if it can happen to Pentecostal and charismatic pastors responsible for teaching hundreds of thousands of people, don't think it can't happen to you. I can assure you it does. I've even begun to think about some of the things that have been said about me in the last month or so outside of work in a spiritual... I'm actually hey, at least they thought highly enough of me to tell me when they thought I was in error. <laughs> you know, whatever the motives. The reality is Christians don't all make it. The Bible says only a few will find life. Hmm. Only a few. That's interesting, isn't it? Turns me to Numbers fourteen. I want to show you something. Uh oh. Falling asleep out there. No. <laughs> no. Numbers fourteen. I'm gonna read you about three more scriptures. Then I will relieve you of your agony in fighting to stay awake. I can't think of a message I've ever had to fight harder to give. I just want to tell you that. Through frequent trips to the restroom, not enough time in the bed, and moving people in and out of houses And traveling more than 600 miles, this has been a hard message to get. And I don't know whether you can appreciate the work that went into it that was not academic in nature, but it was simply to keep a smile on your face and a positive outlook in life. But it really is symbolic of everything that you have to do in the kingdom. Kingdom is loving people when they don't show love for you. When somebody's using you very good like a doormat and they have on golf spikes saying thank you and I appreciate it and can I wash your feet too. That's what kingdom life is. Now, that doesn't mean you don't take your stands. You did. But you do it in a way that loves and tries to show people you're serving them even if they don't understand. Going to Numbers 14? Mm-hmm. Numbers 14, starting in verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked." This is God speaking to Moses about the Israelites. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, And as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. Do you get that? These people left Israel, I'm sorry, left Egypt as the nation of Israel, the nation destined to be the God. And not one of them who was more than twenty years old, Not one was going to make it except somebody. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. It takes a different kind of spirit to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. What you will see around you is apathy. What you will hear and what the force on your life will be is you really don't have to take this so seriously. The worldly wise men will line up to give you counsel about why you can't really put into practice what the Word of God says and why you really shouldn't take it so seriously. They'll have all of these proverbs like, you only have two cheeks to turn and all of these crazy things that they've made up. And they will care about you and you will have to rise up with a different spirit. The people's hearts melted when they saw opposition. The Bible says that their hearts melted within them. And in their own eyes, not in God's eyes, in their own eyes they looked like grasshoppers when compared to the problems. That's what the devil tells you. You can't do it. Don't take your stand. Give in, compromise, fade. Because if you don't, you'll be destroyed. And people's hearts melt. Now this could be about an area of your marriage. It could be about an area of the way you raise your children. It could just have to do with you. But this comes every day. You make these choices. God's looking somebody, looking for somebody with a different spirit. Somebody that says, to hell with the consequences. My whole life belongs to you anyway, Lord. I think Caleb's attitude is better explained in Joshua 14. So turn to Joshua 14. There's this lie that's crept into the church. It says, Well, when I was younger, I could do it. When I was your age, I had more energy. When I was your age, I could do this. I could do that. That's not found anywhere in the Bible. I I want to tell you, I love everybody... And I am only 30 years old and I know that makes me green and wet behind the ears and all of those things. And I've already seen in my life that I can't pick up some of the things that I used to pick up. And that I get tired a little quicker than I used to and I'm only 30. So I can imagine that when I'm 70 that that will also be true. But that is not a biblically accurate picture. Not, not by any way, shape or form. Men of God don't slow down. They don't slow down at all. They increase in activity for the Lord. You might work wiser might be smarter about the way you do things, but this idea that says, well, I'm older, I need to spend my life resting and in retirement is totally unbiblical. The men of God burned out rather than fade out. They poured out their lives like drink offerings. If you're looking forward to a day when you can just coast, it will never come. You'll coast right out of the kingdom. That is not a godly thing. Listen to what Caleb says. Caleb, uh, I guess we're going to be in 14.6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, Kadesh Barnea, Barnea, I'm sorry, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. 40 is always spoken of as the pride life I want you to understand that 40 is the prime of life so those of you still under 40 in here no whining about being old and that's me included <laughs> and I brought him back a report according to my convictions the man had convictions he chose to live his life by his convictions rather than the reports of what he saw around him rather than the consequences of what he saw around him. Everybody else is saying the descendants of Anak are there. The Nephilim are present. We can't go in. We can't conquer. We're grasshoppers. His conviction was that God was with him. So although every other person in the nation other than Joshua didn't want to go conquer, he did. He had a different spirit. When everybody else ran, he advanced. When everybody else hid, he stood up. This is admirable to God, even if you get it wrong sometimes, guys. As long as what you do, you do for Him, it's admirable. But my brothers went up with me and made the hearts of the people melt with fear. If fear is motivating you, it is an enemy of faith. The only thing fear is good for at all is to begin your trek to wisdom of God, the fear that He will burn you. After that, fear is an enemy of faith. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. If you'll follow Him wholeheartedly, He'll give you whatever you need. And get this. Caleb was a sinner just like you. That means he messed up just like you, just like me. But he got what he was after because of his wholehearted devotion. There might have been men more pious, more outwardly righteous than Caleb. But he was the only one in his generation that served God with a wholehearted devotion. How awesome is that? Now then, just as the Lord promised... He has kept me alive for 45 years. I want you to understand something. He's not saying God had to keep him alive for 45 years because he'd be 85 and that's just old and you're going to die. That's not what he's saying. That's how a westerner reads this because we think 85 is old. He's saying in these last 45 years of battle and confrontation, I've never lost because God was with me. That's what he's saying. While Israel moved about in the desert, so I am today 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord has promised me that day. You yourself heard them that the Anakites were there, and that their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord is helping me. I will drive them out just as he said." What is supposed to happen to men of God as they get older is the Lord God helps them more. He was able to accomplish at 85 what He was called to accomplish at 40 because He had learned that the Lord was helping Him. So there was no difference. Once we get it through our head that God is not dependent upon our strength, our means, our bank account, our reputation, anything else, fear can dissipate. Because you realize God's helping you. And whatever He's called you to accomplish, you will accomplish. He had a different spirit. And I want a spirit like He had. And you know what? It's the same spirit that Jesus had and He's poured it out into you. We just have to learn how to stand up and be strong. Luke twelve twenty eight says, Don't set your heart on the things the pagans do. Don't run after them. The reason Jesus is telling them that is because there's a tendency in this life to worry about what you'll eat, what you'll wear, everything else. And they're necessities. You do need them. But you know who knows you need them? Your Father who is helping you. Your one concern needs to be what He tells you to do. So He says, don't set your heart on the things that the pagans do. Well, if He says, don't set your heart on something, what should we set our hearts on? Look at Colossians 3. Colossians 3. I'm going to read you two scriptures and we're going to close. Will y'all put up with that? Two scriptures? Actually, my voice is about to go and I've tried to be good. <clears throat> Colossians 3. I'm starting 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Set your heart and set your mind. Friends, I would argue with you that this setting is like setting a clock the old kind of clocks that you have to wind every day. Each day you need to wake up and purpose within yourself like you were setting a clock that today my heart will be drawn after what God wants it to be. Today my mind will be drawn after what God wants it to be. Today I will put more of myself inside the building of God than is outside the building of God. And if I identify a finger hanging over the edge, I will pull it back. You have to do that each day. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. I don't want to read all of the things that belong to the earthly nature. It's not important. You need to put it to death. This is the attitude of which Jesus said, if your eyes cause you to sin, pluck them out. And nobody seems to understand that. And it is, it's it's a hard saying to understand. But picture it like hanging out of the window. If you get enough of your body outside the window, you will fall. He said it would be better for you to just cut off the arm that's hanging out than to have your whole body fall out. That's what he's trying to teach. I've taught about that before. It's Calve Comer, the light and the heavy teaching. But young listen to that on the internet, I guess. Uh, last scripture, Hebrews. You have to set your heart every day and you have to do something else. What's that? read What's that mean again, Matt? Huh? From my side. The Hebrew people the land of Israel is pronounced Eretz which is and I, that's how I pronounce it I don't mean that's how Hebrew pronounces it but all of those letters are interchangeable to where the land of Israel and the name Eber where the Hebrews come from are so similar that it sounds like what God is saying is the people from my side because that's what Eber means from my side. Okay y'all in uh, Hebrews 3? Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Not only do you set your heart and your mind, you need to fix any broken thoughts so that they will be on Jesus. You're walking through the day and you're thinking you don't know how you'll pay your rent. Fix that thought. Fix it right away. Think about Jesus. You're walking through the day and you're thinking about anything that you shouldn't Fix your thoughts on Jesus. I've taught on this so many times in so many different ways that I'm running out of analogies for it. But when in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul tells you to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, this is what it's talking about. Today, what I talk to you about is limiting some of the external things in your life that might cause you to be drawn outside the window. Being careful that you're not outside the window more than inside the window so that you don't fall. But always what it comes down to you can't always stop every fiery dart from being fired is taking your thoughts and making them obedient to Christ every battle this mighty man of God that's fallen fell because of a battle that occurred between his heart and his mind the man in his heart knew what was right and his mind convinced him otherwise it works the other way too if you set your heart on the wrong thing your mind will find a way to justify it isn't that sad? If you set your heart on the wrong thing, your mind will find a way to justify it. That's why each day we need to set our heart on the right things, our mind on the right things, and you need to fix every thought that comes in that doesn't hold Jesus up as the highest one. I want to live my life in the center of the building and not even close to the window. I have seen too many people start playing with liberties that they shouldn't play with, entertaining thoughts they shouldn't entertain. I've seen too many people that started the race well and before long were thinking about all the things they were free to do in Christ. That more of them was outside of the window than in. Freedom is not a bad thing, but we are not free to sin. You don't need to sit around and entertain things that are not godly. Understand one more thing and then we're going to close. There's nothing the devil would like more than to separate you from each other, from me, and from the church. If there's a day that God calls you somewhere else, I will bless it. I'll even finance it if I have the means. I'll do whatever it takes, as long as it's in God's will. But for the devil to come in and try to pry us apart, I would fight hand, tooth, and nail. He said, What are you talking about, Eric? There's none of that happening. That kind of dissension starts and is at work all of the time, and it is a constant effort to keep out. Peace is something that is pursued. You know that the Bible says you pursue peace? What does that mean? It means it tries to evade you and you have to chase after it. You know it says pursue righteousness? These are not things that come natural to us. It's natural for us to segment, to get upset, to store away hurt feelings, to listen to lying thoughts and take them on as our own. It's Natural for us to not be completely honest with each other too. That's natural. And yet we're called to have a different spirit that serves God wholeheartedly. The first command that I can think of that was given to mankind was subdue the earth. I want you to subdue your nature and then watch. We'll subdue the earth, I promise. Y'all stand up and let's pray.